you know that uh, on some lists that The Shining is voted the number one demonic uh, movie of all time, The Shining? Uh, we showed you that today, that little, we just gave you a little brief. I'm not encouraging anybody to go watch the movie. Just thought it was a good way to start this whole thing off because today we're looking at Mark chapter 5, which gives us the longest, the most detailed, the most vivid, the most dramatic account of an exorcism that we find in the Bible. Mark chapter 5. Mark does not shy away from the demonic at all. In, in the book of Mark, Jesus' first miracle was an exorcism. So like right off the bat, Mark chapter 1, the first miracle Jesus does. His first miracle. What is Jesus' first command to his apostles? I want you to go preach. And then what does he say? I want you to cast out demons. Wow, really? The two things that he gave his apostles, I want you to preach and cast out demons. So Mark doesn't shy away. Jesus doesn't shy away from raw. We find, actually, we find demonic activity all over the place in the book of Mark. Now, let's just say this right up front. We're in Washington, D.C., right? Uh, a very rich city, a very sophisticated city, right? A very powerful city, a really intellectual city. I mean, can we, come on, can we really believe in that kind of, that kind of stuff, this demon stuff? C.S. Lewis says, in a book that he wrote about demons, he said, look, there's two extremes you can go to. Either you can be totally fixated on there's demons all over the place, or you can come all the way over here and say, you know what, that's just a bunch, of, that's, that doesn't exist. And then he says this, he says, the devil is happy with either extreme. Either totally fixated or totally ignoring. We don't want to be there. Let me tell you a story. Um, when I looked up what would be the most you know, demonic movie and looked at lists i didn't expect to see the shining there's one movie that i expected to top the list and that is a movie that was made in 1973 it grossed 441 million dollars worldwide it was the first movie in the united states of america that was nominated for best picture as a horror movie first horror movie that was ever nominated it won two out of ten academy awards our library of congress right down the street just two years ago in 2010 selected it for the national film registry to be preserved it is the story of a 12 year old girl living a five minute run from this location right here if you are a fit runner a five minute run from this lawyer right okay in georgetown who is what demon possessed in the name of the movie is The Exorcist, and I'm not encouraging you to see that movie either. But uh, listen, do we believe in, is that okay? Are we too sophisticated to believe in that? Uh, I went to school in the 80s at Bishop Ireton High School, and our English professor told us this story. He had been a professor there for many years. He said in 1973, The Exorcist kind of took over Washington, D.C., right? It was like to get a ticket to go see The Exorcist was like winning the lottery. Lines of Washingtonians just piled up outside of theaters, packing it, trying to get in to see The Exorcist. He had two students, two seniors, and my professor was a priest. He had two seniors who won the lottery, and they got three tickets, and there's two of them. They had a third ticket, so they invited him, and he said, yes, I'll go. So he went, no collar, went. He's flying low under the radar with no collar on, and of all places that they won the ticket, they won the ticket to go down to Georgetown, the epicenter of it all, to see it at the movie theater down in Georgetown. He said, we got there, stood in line, not, nobody was saying a word. Fear, just people just stood silently in line, just like this. <laughs> Packed, 
Huge crowds. We got in, not a word. Everybody just quietly went to their seats. Every seat was filled. People just sat down and watched. He said the entire movie, people didn't move. You sat there with your hands on your little right here, and you just gripped it, and you didn't turn, you didn't move. You just looked straight forward, and all the looking around you did, you just your eyes just went out. But everything was just like this. There was so much fear and so much tension in there. He said halfway through the movie, a lady sitting like right up front here, and, you know, the theater has a slope going out, got up, nobody turned, and she started to walk out. And the more she went up kind of the aisle to go out, the more rapidly she walked. She got halfway up the aisle, and she tripped, and she fell. And when she fell, she screamed a blood-curdling scream. Ah! Went down. And he said, nobody moved. Nobody said, are you okay? Are you? Is it nobody, it's like this. Everybody's eyes were like, it sounded like just like this. She crawled the rest of the way. A Washingtonian, okay, a sophisticated intellectual Washingtonian, crawled the rest of the way out there, and nobody helped her. Everybody just sat there in stunned silence. So do we, as sophisticated Washingtonians, can we believe in this hocus-pocus in demons? Obviously we can, but something comes along, and like we believe it on one side and fascinated by it, but on the other, it's like, oh, that's just, we can't believe in that. I'd like to read to you this uh, Mark chapter 5 and make some commentary. But before I do, we should pause and just ask the Lord to help us and to understand his word. And what does God want to say to us through Mark chapter 5 today? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us today through your word. There is something for all of us to learn. You describe to us, Lord, in your word that we live in a world of demonic activity and warfare And that is affecting every single one of us. That's what your word describes. So, Lord, what can we learn today? How can we be helped that we might live life to the fullest the way you want us to? In Christ's name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 5. I'm just going to read this through, make a few comments along the way, and then we'll go from there. So, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him. Notice these next words anymore. There was a gradual increase of influence of these evil spirits over the man. They they couldn't do it anymore. At one point, they could do it. At one point, he was kind of under control. But there was this gradual, that's the way the enemy comes in in scriptures. It isn't like all of a sudden, bam. It's It's a gradual opening up. This is what we see with him. They couldn't bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day. Look at this. Look at this poor guy. Night and day. He's among the tombs and in the hills, and he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. This guy is hurting desperately. Now, some of us, well, hopefully, none of us are this place. We're actually across the street at the cemetery screaming out in pain. But do we feel like that sometimes on the inside? We feel like this guy on the inside, what we see him doing on the outside. Verse number six. When he saw Jesus, notice this. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. I just want to stop right there. Look, the demons, you'll see this. They don't want any part of Jesus. Like they want to be as far away from Jesus as possible. Get me as far away from that guy as possible. Why is this man running? Because if you look closely, you'll see that there's this massive battle between the man and the demonic influence in his life. And listen, I'm going to bring this up over and over and over again. 
this guy is not possessed. The Bible doesn't talk about possession. I know we see that word from time to time, but the word is demonized. To be de- means to be under the influence. What the Bible focuses on, what I want to focus on today, I know we talk about the exorcist and this girl, she's possessed by a demon and blah, 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 but what the Bible talks about all over the place is when somebody is under the influence of an evil spirit and there's this battle between me and this evil spirit that's trying to influence me. I hope that makes sense. We're like, oh, well, I know I'm not demon-possessed. The Bible doesn't get into that. What the Bible gets into all over the place is to be demonized, to be afflicted by evil, negative evil influences that try to rob us of life. And obviously they're robbing this guy of life. And so if you see this, he's running. It's like his last-ditch effort. I've got to get to Jesus. And you can see all the way as he's running, the demon's like screaming, no, go back. Okay. He runs He's kneeled almost as if he's worshiping Jesus. He kneels down in front of him. He shouts at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Now, this is interesting because under the influence there of the demons over him, it almost sounds, the words that he gives, is almost like he's trying to exercise Jesus. This is the same wording that someone would use back those days when they were trying to exercise a demon from so it's kind of jesus never did this jesus never swore by a higher power why did he never swear by a higher power when he's casting out a demon because he was the higher power 100 percent of the time he was the higher power and he's he's trying to exercise jesus from the area swear to god that you won't torture me for jesus was saying to him come out of this man you evil spirit and then here it comes then jesus asked him what what do you want to know we're going to talk a lot about that today Jesus wants to know his name. What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we're many. And he begged Jesus again and again to not send them out of the area. And here's where it gets very interesting. And there is no place in ancient writings where anything, there's a lot of, like the Bible doesn't talk a lot about exorcisms, but ancient writings talks a lot about exorcisms. And in no case is there anything like what we're getting ready to hear. There's no reason to put this in unless it actually takes place. All right? A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Among. We don't want to possess the pigs. Just send us among to influence the pigs. This this over there where the pigs are. All right. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd in about 2000 number rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. What is up with that? You know how a lot of times you read in the Bible, like, like doubting Thomas? And, doubt, and you, we hear that in people who don't even know the Bible, is that they know the phrase doubting Thomas. Is, so we get a lot of stuff from the Bible, and we might not even know it that's popular in the world today. Is this where we get the thing deviled ham? Is that where that comes from? <laughs> Make you think twice when you eat deviled ham again. That's okay. Uh, just three observations and let's move on from the pigs, okay? So the first one is this. Obviously, the man is much more important to Jesus than the pigs. Second thing, it's clear those demons are gone, right? So if you're standing there and like, I wonder if this guy is no longer demonized anymore. It's like, yep, yeah, he's not because there, there they go down the bank. And the final thing that, you know, we see in all this amongst Jesus's power to do this and his in his importance is just how clear that demonstration is of what god wants to do in this man's life 
and what the demons want to do in his life. So when they're cast onto the pigs, what do they do? They immediately destroy. They were trying to destroy this man's life. Trying to kill him, trying to devour him. That was the goal. That was the intent of the enemy. And that's what the Bible points to all over the place. The devil wants to rob us of life. So when people say, you know what, man, I just feel like I'm not really living. You know, I, I don't know what job I should be in. or My marriage really it's not where it should be. Or I want to get married. I have no hopes in my life. It's just not, I mean, I'm not living the way I want to live. I feel like, you know what I'm saying? That is the role that the enemy fulfills. That's what he wants to do to rob us and to destroy and devour us of our lives. Let's, let's finish the whole thing out. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? They're scared to death of this guy. They can't subdue him. He's out amongst the tombs. He's free. But now they're more afraid that he's free than he was before, just like the disciples were last week when they had their prayers answered. They were terrified. They were more terrified that they had their prayers answered than when they were in the storm. Just, just fascinating. Those who, have been, who, who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus. Look at this. Would you please get out of here? Would you please leave? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus grants everybody's request in this story. He's granting the request of the demons. I want to go to the pigs. Okay. The townies, would you please leave? Okay, I'm going to leave. The only person he doesn't grant a request to is who? The poor man. I want to go with you. Nope, you can't go with him. Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were absolutely amazed. Amazed. Uh, we look at passages like this and we might say, everybody, and here's one of the big knocks sometimes that people have about the Bible, right? They say the Bible is just like primitive people and primitive people believed that everything there was a demon behind everything all right so when somebody has mental problems they're demon possessed when somebody has physical problems they're demon possessed people have any kind of problem or any kind of issue going on well there must be a demon behind that and so we say just like primitive people so the, the bible is just kind of born out of that so how can i trust the bible if the bible doesn't know the difference between all that. And what I want to tell you is the Bible absolutely does. Knows it. So I want you to look at this scripture verse. I have it on your, on your bulletin there. It's Matthew 4, 24. This is fascinating. This is where if we will dig into the brilliance of the Bible, we will find ourselves in absolute awe of it. Look what it says. News about him, speaking of Jesus, spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases and those suffering with severe pain. So look at this. So we got people of various, and they got pain. All right, that's one category. Here's another category. The demon possessed. It's the word demonized. means to be under negative influence of the, of the devil, of satanic forces. All right, that's two. Number three, having seizures. The word, the word, and some of you have a King James Bible, it says lunatic. What's really it's referring to here is people who have mental illnesses. Mental illness 
is not the same as demon possession. This is it, the Bible. What I'm saying here differentiates the Bible is way ahead of a time in a culture, even in a world today that we live in. Some people still think that when you have a problem, you've either sinned or you're demon. possessed. that happens in our world still today. And what I'm saying to you, the Bible is so complex and so advanced that even 2000 years ago when it was written, it differentiates between all of this. The brilliance of the Bible, severe pain, demon possession, seizures, mental illness, those who were paralyzed, and he healed them all. Okay. Uh, again, I want to stress this, all right, before I talk about a few things here that are on your outline. We're not talking about demon possession today. We're talking about demonic influence. And what the Bible lets us know is, is that there are demonic influences, and we fight them every day. Ephesians chapter 6 says we daily battle against satanic forces and and we're all affected by that and what they're trying to do is to rob us of life trying to rob us of joy trying to rob us of god's purpose and god's plan and trying to bring confusion and all kinds of nasty negative things into our lives we're not talking about possession and we're definitely not talking about somebody who is a follower of jesus christ and where the spirit of god lives in us obviously no other spirit can live in us it just would not work so i just want to put that Right out there, okay, as a disclaimer. Now, let's talk about this. Who is Satan? Who is Satan? Briefly, Jesus says in Luke 10, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, right? Satan was an angel, one of the big three. So you've heard of Gabriel, right? You've heard of Gabriel before. He's the one that makes the announcement to the Virgin Mary, you will be with child. We've heard of Michael, who like serves as the commander of the forces of God's army. Satan was number three. That wasn't his name at the time. It wasn't Satan at the time. He had a different name, but he was one of the big three. We're told in Ezekiel 28 that he was the model of perfection. He was full of wisdom. He was perfect in beauty, but his pride rose up, and he said, I will be like God. And what did he tempt Adam and Eve with? He said, you can be like God, his same fall. And so he was kicked out of heaven. God kicked him out of heaven, right? And he created hell, not for us, but for the devil and his demons, and a third of the angels followed Satan into his rebellion, and that's what we call demons today. So briefly, that's who Satan is. What is Satan trying to do? We're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to devour, wants to devour our lives, wants to mess with our lives, wants to mess up our lives, wants to bring confusion, wants to mess up our marriage, wants to mess up our hopes of ever getting married, wants to mess up our attitudes and our finances and our purpose and our careers, wants to humiliate us. The book of Revelation says that the devil is a destroyer. That's what the enemy is trying to do. Now, let's get to this next point so we got that out of the way. This is what I really want to focus on. How is the devil trying to do this? So how does he do this? This is what's fascinating, everybody. All right? So key in on this right here. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says this about Satan. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He, he doesn't come at us, you know, with like a tongue hanging out and eyes burning with fire and his head spinning around like a top, right? You think about Adam and Eve. And they're in the garden. And here comes Satan. They weren't, Eve, Adam, they weren't afraid of Satan, the serpent, coming in. It wasn't like scary. It was like this wicked, terrible looking. He comes as this angel of light, and he comes to deceive them. He doesn't walk up with them with a Ouija board, right? And his head is spinning around, and he's screaming. Ah! He's not doing any of that stuff. He doesn't have a record player that plays records backwards. Is anybody old enough to remember that? Remember the backward 
record player. You know, the, I think the only people who have that were American evangelists back in the 70s and 80s. Scared me to death, right? These Beatles, uh, turn me on, dead man. I mean, I felt, you know, I, maybe you've heard some of those things, but I, I would walk out of those meetings. I felt more demonized than when I, before I walked in. But that's not how the devil comes. Here's where it gets extraordinarily interesting, everybody. The devil comes after us to influence our lives in a very negative way, not with seances and Ouija boards and Satanism. Worshiping the devil. Look how he comes. Ephesians chapter 4. This is fascinating. Be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Verse 27. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. The devil chooses these opportunities that when my anger, when I, if I have an anger problem, right, and then I go to bed angry, I'm opening myself up for negative influence from the devil. And that changes everything. Like, I haven't been to a Satanist meeting in a long time, okay? Ever. It's a joke. All right. <laughs> I've gone to bed angry. It's so easy to say, oh, yeah, man. Those wicked people, and they look like this, and they do that. But, you know, I, I'm not. Am I fighting the devil? Of course I'm not fighting the devil. Wait a minute. I've gone to bed angry. And the Bible says that I don't become demonized, influenced negatively with the devil because I'm hanging out with a Ouija board and going to say. It says that when I go to bed angry, I've opened myself up. But wait a minute. That's not all. Ephesians chapter 4, it lists a whole assortment of things both before these verses and after these verses. And you can make a really strong case for it. It's not just going to bed angry, but it's all the stuff that's listed. And you should read Ephesians chapter 4 sometime and think about this. I just want to give you a couple things that it says that opens us up to the negative influence of the devil in our lives. Look what is there. Lying, stealing, cheating, inappropriate conversations, gossip, bitterness, unforgiveness, Lust, greed, being stingy. All of these things open me up for negative demonic influence in my life is what the Bible says. How about this one? Pride. Look at it. First uh, Timothy 3, 6 and 7. This changes the whole ball game for me. First Timothy 3, 6 and 7 talk about what kind of person should be chosen to be a leader in church. And you say, wait a minute, don't choose somebody who's like just totally brand new to the faith. Because, and then it goes... Because they might become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Guy can't be a jerk. Guy can't be a jerk. He has a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into what? The devil's trap. Pride. So when I'm unforgiving or I'm bitter or I'm angry or I'm filled with lust or I have some addictions or whatever, what, all those things. Normal stuff that all of us go through. The normal junk that every single one of us go through. When, when, when I'm not dealing with that, I am opening myself up. Not just going to the Satanist meeting down the street, right? When I have allowed myself, I have then opened myself up to negative demonic influence. This is what the Bible is talking about. So uh, think about this. One last thing before I want to get into three action points about this. Why is it that Matthew, everybody... 
why is it that Matthew, in the beginning of his gospel, gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Now, I know what you Bible scholars are going to say, and I completely agree with you. It's to tell us it's the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus Christ was prophesied he'd be through the bloodline of Abraham and David, and it makes it so clear in Matthew. But can I, can I offer a secondary thought here for one second? Because that genealogy lists four women. And when it lists four women, it makes you sit up and say something else is going on because you never listed women in a genealogy back to those. I'm, I'm not saying I'm for it, ladies. I'm just telling you history, right? Okay. I'm not saying I'm for it. Just telling you what happened. Okay. So uh, it lists four women. Why, why would it do that? And four women with incredible backgrounds. Tamar, who dressed up like a prostitute to fool her father-in-law to having sex with her so she could get pregnant. And Rahab, who ran a brothel. And Bathsheba, who was an adulterer, right? And then it makes you think about all the guys in there. David, who's a peeping Tom, who's filled with lust, who was a liar and a murderer, right? Solomon, who was a devil worshiper. Jacob who had no character whatsoever. He was a deceiver. And then you understand when you read Hebrews 4 and it says Jesus Christ like suffered and dealt with all the same temptations and all the battles, all the demons, all that negative influence that we do. Because what do we know about our family tree and our bloodline, right? All that junk, the Bible says, it just, it, it just tries to flow down upon us. Isn't that so true? Don't we pick up those same habits? Krista was telling me in her uh, Bible study of the women's group that she does that they were they studied this. There was a story this past week in their Bible study about a, about a dog. It's a sad story about a dog. I know I tell a lot of mean, funny stories about dogs. It's a sad story about a dog, so we're clear. Uh, and this dog was pregnant and lost both of its back legs. And they took the dog to the vet. They were able to save the dog's life and to deliver these six puppies that were inside of this dog. And so for the rest of this dog's life, the dog had the two, you know, front legs, paws, and learned how to just flip its body over and to walk. Now, how did all those six puppies walk? They walked the exact same way, even though they were healthy puppies with four legs. They did the same thing. Think about it. Think about your families and think about the stuff that your families are passing down, issues on character, issues on lust, issues on addictions. And think about how that is passed down to us. And Jesus is dealing with all that. I, you know, if I was more bold like the Apostle Paul, I'd use a, a stronger S word here, but we'll just call it stuff. It comes down upon Jesus and he's dealing with this. What has been passed down to you? Worry, fear, low self-esteem predisposition to addictions, lust, lying, cheating, deceiving, being rejected, the feeling of being rejected, being abandoned, being humiliated, what's been passed down to you? All right, now all that's out of the way. What can we do about this? Here's the first thing we can do. Please write this down. Ask God to reveal it. You've got to ask God to reveal it. Some of us, some of us here that we like, we know, boom, yeah, I know what my issue is. I know what my issue, but there's a bunch of us in this room like, well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think, but I think there's something else. We got to get really clear on this. Get really clear. God, what is it? Every single person in this room, every single one of us deals with negative demonic influence around us all the time because that's what the Bible describes to us. We are battling this cosmic battle all the time. What exactly, how is it attacking me? And what we're told in scripture is the enemy is smart, knows where our weaknesses are. Like, so, uh, 
I love to play basketball. And if I'm, if I'm really competitive, which sometimes I am, uh, and I really want to win a game, you know, am I going to attack my opponent's strengths or his weakness? Right? I'm going to go after the weakness. And the enemy knows what our weaknesses are. And that's going to be attacked. Right? It's going to be attacked. Now, this man in this story of Mark chapter 5, everybody, he's making his last ditch effort to run to Jesus. Those demons don't want, the, the demons are saying, man, get the hell out of here. Just run. You don't want any part. Just go. And he runs with all of his might and throws himself down before Jesus Christ. Because he knows, if I have any hope, my hope is right here. I've got to get to Jesus with this. Ask God, ask Jesus to reveal it. That's our first step in it. We have to do it. It's very important. But here's the second thing that follows up on it. So you can name it. We're back to the names again. Naming all over the place in Scripture, the naming of something is very important. If you can name it this morning, you can own it. But if you walk out of this room today without naming it, you can't own that thing. Every single one of us has something to name, according to the Bible. We have something to name. And if we can name it, name it today, we can own it today. But if we, the demons will say, run the other way. If we run the other way without naming it, we can't own it. So important. So this man, he runs to Jesus. We should all run to Jesus, right? Jesus is the answer. We're so when you get to Jesus and he's going to have his arms wide open for you, come on in, come on in. He's, he's got one question for you. He's good, he's good. Every single one of us, he's one question. What's the question going to be? First question, right off the bat, right from Mark 5. Okay, what's your name? What's your name? This is why Alcoholics Anonymous, one reason why it is so powerful. People talk about Alcoholics Anonymous and say, man, if we could get the same power in our church, like Alcoholics Anonymous, some people say, it's more like church than church. What do they do? I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. Name it right there. Can you do that today? I know there's a strong pull inside of all of us to say, you know what, man, I got my act together. I mean, talk to the other people, but I got my act together. There's not a one of us in this room who aren't in this boat. We're all dealing with something. And until we name it, we cannot own it. But if God will reveal it and will name it, we can own it. We can own it. Last thing. Ask Jesus to reverse it. What a radical reversal in this guy's life. I mean, this guy, he was toast. He, how much longer could this guy survive? Right? He's out there, naked, out in the tombs, cutting himself. I mean, he's going to bleed to death. So, sooner or later, he's going to bleed to death. The guy's going to die. He's going to destroy him just like, the, just like the pigs. Right? It's going to be the same thing. But Jesus comes along and creates a radical reversal. Once the name was revealed, once the guy names says, yep, this is, what I, this is what I struggle with. There's this awesome radical reversal in his life. I don't know about you, but I happen to know a number of people in my life, throughout the course of my life, who have tremendous potential, like tremendous potential. And they're not living up to it. And in every single one of those cases, they refuse to say, yep, this is what I deal with. I deal with bitterness. I deal with unforgiveness. I deal with lust. I deal with lying. In every single case, they're being robbed and devoured of all that God wants them to be simply because they 
won't name it and the radical reversal can happen in their lives. You have to name it. Don't let that be you. I want to conclude by telling you a story. So, um, I, I started school young. I was younger than uh, other kids. I started school early. So I was smaller. I was younger and I was smaller. And I grew late. Like when I was 15, I was five foot tall, something around there. So I was younger and smaller, and I'm very shy. Like this is killing me to be up here, right? So I'm younger and I'm smaller and I'm shyer and all of this stuff. And what does that lend itself towards? And that can lend itself towards being you know, picked on or feeling rejected or feeling left out. You know, I don't want you on our team. I mean, look at your size, right? I don't want you on our team. Don't want you to be our friend. All of all those things. It can lead to tremendous feelings of rejection. I, I, some of you know this. This is where I went to school. I went here to TJ. Now, I can take you downstairs, actually, since we've come back here two years ago. I've walked into this classroom a couple times, and I remembered this story so vividly. So we had a class in... Um, Every afternoon in my seventh grade when I was here, and people just loved my last name, Sly. They loved, to, they loved to say Sly, and so they would make up whole songs about me. And I'd walk into class, and they'd have like a percussion section, and then others say, you know, Sly, boom, 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 boom. And they would do this whole thing. Now, they were just having fun, but through my lens, how did I view that? I, I viewed it as, as rejection. And what happened is gradual by gradual by gradual, that just those kind of things, those dings we pick up from our family or our school or whatever, those things stick with us. My, I was like demonized by rejection. Now, I have something very interesting that I've observed only in the past couple years. When we deal with something like that, everybody, when we deal with those things, those demons in a particular area of life, it's like there's an increase of opportunity for whatever that is. Let me give you an example. So I'm dealing with my demon of rejection that's been hanging on me forever, right? I'm dealing with that. It seems as if there are strange and weird and unusual circumstances that seem to arise all over the place for me to be even more rejected. Case in point. Throughout my years of being a pastor, I've had parishioners come to me and they say, hey, uh, Pastor John, I need your help. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help you. Can you help me find a really good church? Like, can you help me find a church that really believes in the Bible and, you know, or hear the word preached? Can you? Can, now, look, that person could go on anywhere. They could go on to a, another parishioner. They could, they could go on the Internet. They could search for a church. They chose one place to come to. They chose me. I'm, this is this not happened just once to me, everybody. This is happening many, many. I tell this to other pastors, like, what are you talking about? That's never happened to me. How does this happen to you? I'll tell you why it's happened to me. Because I deal with the demon of rejection. And until I deal with it, those situations are just going to keep coming up over and over and over again. Aren't you sick and tired of that? Aren't you sick and tired of that? Until you deal with it. It's just going to keep coming like a flood more and more and more and more and more. I was talking to a guy. He's a pastor. He deals with a demon of lust. I mean, he gets he, big time on him. And he started telling me all these stories about he was, how he was approached by women all over the place. I'm like, you're, what? You're, I mean, you're ugly. 
are serious. He's ugly. No attraction. And he says, he looks at me and says, doesn't that happen to you all the time? And I said, never. It's never happened to me. And he looks at me and says, was it because you're ugly? You know, right? Do you, do you get the pattern here? Everybody, you're dealing with something. Bitterness, unforgiveness, rejection, abandonment, lust, addictions, whatever it is, right? Anger. The, whatever you deal with until you name it and you let Jesus Christ reverse it. It's coming your way. It's like a big, huge snowball. And that snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Aren't you tired of dealing with that? to do something about it because God wants so much more for your life. He doesn't want you to live a life like that. Now look, the demons and the demons that are all over this guy are like screaming at him to run in the opposite direction. This guy makes one last ditch effort. He says, I've got to get to Jesus. There are going to be demons all over this place today screaming at you, just get, just get the hell out of this TJ auditorium as quick as you can. That's what they want so that you can continue with this landslide of crap that comes down on us. I'm just saying, think about fighting against that with everything you've got this morning and say, you know what? I'm going to deal with it. If you know what it is, name it. If you don't know what it is, ask God to reveal it. Reveal it, name it, so God can reverse it in your life. Now, when Jesus casts out the demon, he does it with a word. He doesn't go through all these gymnastics and incantations, do all that. He just, bam, hits it with a, who, who is the word? Jesus is the word. So I deal with the demon of rejection, right? What do I do about it? I name that to God. This is what I did. This is who I am, God. Give me victory over this. And then there's other things that I can do after I've done that. I hit it with the word of God. I put Ephesians on your passage today. It's a great, if you deal with rejection, and I'm going, to put, I'm going to put me in this instead of us, all right? Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed me in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he has chosen me to be on his team before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined me to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And if you deal with fear... You know what? There's a scripture verse that deals with fear. God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power. You deal with worry, which many of us do, and guilt. The Bible says that you don't have to be anxious about anything. You need to hit it with the word. Name it and hit it with the word. Now, we're going to do something a little different as we conclude, and we're done. The music team's going to come on up, and they're going to help with one last song. And here's how, here, here's how we're going to roll today. We're going to dismiss you as they sing. We're not going to hold you as they sing that. We're going to dismiss you to go. But I've asked... Uh, the prayer team, and I've asked my wife uh, to help me out with this too. All the women prayer team, all the women are going to be on that side and with my wife over there. And I'm going to be on this side over here. Oh, we'll separate men and women today. And we're going to dismiss you. I'm going to pray. I'm gonna, you're, you are free to go. But there's a bunch of, there's all of us in this room actually. Now we're dealing with something. And I've asked the prayer team to be praying about this all weekend long. This is serious stuff. The devil wants to devour our lives. That's the whole intent and purpose. And look, all these people on this wall, all these people, they're battling with the same junk that you are. Same junk that you are. 
And what we want to simply do is if you don't know what it is, we're going to say, oh, God, just reveal it. We want to join you in prayer, link arms with you because we love you. We love each other. We're just nothing but a big family here. God, reveal it. If you know what it is, we're going to say, okay, God, if it's, it's, if it's worry, God, give victory over worry. If it's fear, give victory over fear. If it's rejection, give victory over rejection. We just want to join arms with you, and we want to pray with you. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you, and we're going to create a one. Our music team's going to create a wonderful atmosphere of worship and praise. And you're free to go, and you're also free to join us on the sides and come up, and let's just join hands together and pray. So let's all stand up. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, God, I thank you for your word that gives us clarity about issues like this. And Father, even though we might say, man, we're sophisticated Washingtonians, can we believe in this? The reality is, is we are riddled, riddled with negative influences that are trapping us in our lives and keeping us from being all that we can be. But God, today is a day. Today is a day in which we can name things. We can name it so that we can own it so that, Father, you can reverse it. Father, I just ask for people all, all over. God, you have great plans for every single person in this room. You have plans for every single person to live a life to the fullest. Because, Jesus, you tell us that in your word. Lord, let us start a journey down the path to fullness of life today. Set us free from all the junk that we deal with, Lord. Set us free from all the family history and all the past. Set us free from all the dents and dings that we've picked up along the way. Set us free and help us, God. Give us the courage and the boldness to run to you and to name it so that we can be free of it. We ask this in your merciful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to sing. Please stay and sing. Stay in your seats. Or if you need to go, go. Or please step over and be prayed for. God bless you. Thanks for being here.